This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J, and this week I'm talking to the brilliant... Brian Gallagher. ...about the death of Gregory Villemen. Now, I probably said that wrong. Uh, Gregory Vilmen is also known as Little Gregory. So you might be familiar with the. I know you were saying, Brian, you've heard of this case. I had heard of the case, yeah. Um, as yet unsolved, I believe. But actually, when I got your email first, Julie, about this, I, I read it as Lady Gregory. And I used to work oh, in a hotel. Oh, totally different vibe. I know. I worked in a hotel called the Lady Gregory once for a while. So I read your email very quickly oh. and thought, hang on a minute. Was there a murder in the Lady Gregory? Is Julie trying to pin this on me? What's going on here, you know? That I'm, is I'm, funny. That's, that's gas. I did, I, that is funny. I did. Where is the Lady Gregory Hotel? It's in uh, Gorton in County Galway. So I worked there for a short time. Oh, look at you name trapping left, right and centre. There you are. Yeah, I had lady... a job once. <laughs> Do you remember those days when you used to work, Brian? Wow. Amazing. Uh, I know they do seem like a long time ago now. Lady Gregory was a kind of a cool in and of herself, but this this is a very different story. So little Gregory would still be kind of known as one of the biggest criminal cases in France. And it continues to fascinate. There is a Netflix documentary as well. I don't know if you watched that. I haven't, but I've 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 heard of it. That's no problem. I didn't expect you to watch it all. It, it's I think it's like a five parter maybe, um, but it's 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 very good anyway. So that's on Netflix as well if you do want to read up about it. But uh, I'll just I'll, let's just get right into it, Brian. I'll take I'll take it from the top. So the Villemens, I'm sure. I don't know. Did you do French in school, Brian? No. Did you do German? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's I... all. I, all I know of either language, Julie. 
Yeah, do you know what? I I did French, and I was actually quite good at French back in the day, but it's like anything, the French is gone. My pronunciation is horrendous, and I really want to apologise to any French listener listening. Uh, I am such an anglophile when it comes to the pronunciation here, but I'll do my best. So the Villemens were a kind of, they were a young, good-looking couple. They lived in the Pont-sur-Villon, a small village in northeastern France in the early 80s. It was a quiet, sleepy village. So just basically, you know, your quintessential French village when you imagine a French village, like a lot of baguettes, you know, a lot of people strolling leisurely. Old guys playing bulls. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was just your quintessential French village village where everyone knew everyone and nothing really happened until that was a few months before Gregory, little Gregory, disappeared on the 16th of October 1984. So Gregory was um, the son of Jean-Marie and Christine Villemen. He was the only son. He was absolutely adored. He was three years of age, gorgeous child, absolutely gorgeous. And they were mad about him. So they lived in this house in uh, in this village, Le Ponge sur It was a nice gaff by all accounts. They were a good looking family. They were doing well. And then a few months before little Gregory died, the family started receiving threatening letters and phone calls. So this is one of the aspects which makes this case particularly interesting. Okay. So Jean-Marie, who was the dad, was not very well liked. So he wasn't a li- he wasn't a popular man in town. He had been promoted to supervisor in the local car parts factory where he worked and he liked to brag about how much money he made. So he was known as being a major show off. Like, you know, he yeah like he was just he was just a yeah he just liked to rub people's faces in it a little bit so he definitely rubbed people up the wrong way he bought as I said one of the nicer houses in the village and he made sure to fit it out with really ostentatious furniture so you know if people called the house you know he would show them around and be like look at that couch you know it's brand new guess how much it cost me so he he was probably He was a bit of a bragger and, you know, maybe didn't sit well with a lot of people. But the phone calls that started then a few months before Gregory disappeared in October were always. So they were very crackly. Uh, it was hard to discern if they were male or female, but they were always threatening. So the, 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 the phone calls themselves, he would always be referred to as chief or boss in these phone calls. Now, that is important because okay. in, the, in the factory where he worked, that was what the guys would have called him, would have been chief or boss. Okay. But uh, the family had tried to dismiss these calls, but they, they, they just didn't really sit right with the couple because Jean-Marie would later say that the calls and letters, so you could put it down to, look, this is just some lunatic who's harassing us. Yeah. And trying to give us a hard time and trying to scare us. But what really unnerved Jean-Marie and his wife, Christine, uh, he'd later say that the, the, the calls and letters that they were getting suggested that this person knew personal details that very few people would know. So like really, really intimate stuff about families. So they they were very concerned this that this was actually a family member because so much of the stuff that this person seemed to be aware of would only have been known to the extended family. And was Julie was the, on the calls? Was there an over and back exchange, or was it just a call with a well, tricky tirade? It's well, generally, like I, I think with the calls, and certainly in the Netflix, you would see that as well. Like generally, it's like you know they would get these calls, and like occasionally, either Jean Marie or Christine would lose their temper, and you know ask what the person wanted, and kind of shout them out right. of it. But generally, it was like a one sided thing. 
so that these calls would be made or these letters would be sent. And again, what unnerved them was it really felt like it was somebody very close to them because they just had an awful lot of personal information. And this as well was a really small village. So where they were getting these letters from, so they could tell from the postmark that these letters were being posted from the post office in the village. So again, it was somebody physically close to them as well. That's mad. So it's just a bit, it was just a bit, I guess it was just a bit of a strange experience for them because this was just going on and on and on for months. So the 16th of October, 1984, Gregory's mother, Christine, had put him outside in the garden to play as she did some housework. So obviously, you know, he's a small kid. He's out in the garden. He's doing his thing. She realizes after 5 p.m. that she can't see him and can't find him anywhere. She runs over to the babysitter's house to see if he's there, but he is not. So the child has disappeared from the garden while the mother is inside doing the few bits and bobs around the house. Right. Shortly after she discovered this, Jean-Marie's brother, who of course would have been Gregory's uncle, Michelle, receives a phone call from the same anonymous caller that has been ringing and threatening Christine and Jean-Marie. The caller says, which this is like really scary. So the caller says, I have taken the boy of the chief I have thrown him into the Vallon, which was at the local river in the village. Jesus. So they headed out and they started searching on foot. Now, I suppose one of the things was they kind of dismissed for whatever reason. And I suppose you'd be panicking in the moment. They kind of dismissed the call and said, no, like there's no way that this person has called to say they have actually thrown the child in the river. So the first place they looked wasn't the river. They actually ended up looking in the woods, thinking that the call had just been another idle threat. Okay. The police, the police were contacted as well. Do, do, you, do you know what the police in France are called? Uh, gendarme, is it? Le gendarme. Le gendarme. Didn't French. Didn't even learn the, French and I knew that. <laughs> the police were contacted and all, all also headed to the river. Le volant. Uh, they also headed to the river and very sadly, so they were searching the riverbanks, etc. Right. And at 9 p.m. that night, tragically, they found the little boy in the river. So the, the little boy was dead. Gregory was dead. His feet and his legs had been tied with cords. So he was kind of hogtied. Right. And his little hat, which I just think is so sad, his little hat had also been pulled over his face. That's very um, sad and disturbing. Isn't it? Very sad and disturbing. So, like, as well, even the fact now that the, the hat had been pulled over his face, like, people would later kind of, you know, say that that suggested, again, some kind of personal connection yeah. with the child um, because that was a bit of a giveaway as well. But, I mean, the child himself, I mean, obviously such a small child, so to find him in this condition was just horrendous. And, and actually... He, how was he killed? Was he just killed well, by drowning? Or? yes. This is it. So the, the case basically was really badly handled from the get-go. So, I mean, whether it was the police or the medical examiner or the media's reporting on the case, it was just disaster upon disaster, really. So the medical examiner just assumed that he had died from dr- drowning this child. So he just presumed, okay, well, this ah, is yeah. obviously a drowning case. So he didn't re- he didn't examine the child as such. Uh, just ruled that this child had died of drowning. And a few days later, the local police, the gendarme, who actually, the gendarme, interestingly, um, were, uh, they were actually soldiers who acted as police in this area. So they had found an empty vial of insulin and a hypodermic syringe near the riverbed. 
The use of insulin would have rendered Gregory unconscious immediately, but the medical examiner had not examined him for needle marks, so nothing had been noted. But that's not to say that that didn't happen and that wasn't the case because it just was never pursued as a line of inquiry. That's a bit mad. It is a bit, isn't it? And actually, we'll come back. The insulin now is a bit of a clue, so we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, but they never, okay. they, they didn't examine his little body for bruising, which would suggest, like, you know, that he had a needle, you know, you know, he had a needle. I was going to say applied, but you wouldn't say applied. What would you say? A needle performed? No? A needle, uh, oh, God. A needle, hmm. Uh, yeah. no, no. The, well, it would suggest that somebody hadn't given, you know, would have given him a needle if he but was it's, bruised it's, or it, if he had a little puncture mark. Incredible incompetence on behalf of the medical examiner not to examine really a dead bad. child. Yeah, yeah. But that was what, you know, that was what the, the, the cause of death was deemed to be. Right. And a day after Gregory died, and obviously the, the day after he's found, the Villemans received another anonymous letter. The letter read, now this is an unbelievable letter. So the child has been found dead in, in a river. This is the day after. And the letter read, the day after, I hope you die of grief, boss. Your money can't give you back your son. Here is my revenge, you stupid bastard. Wow. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. like, I think, you know, I have some family members that piss me off, but Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that just insane? Well, that's a level of that's a level of bitterness and hatred that I mean, to number one, to 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 launch a campaign of intimidation and letters and phone calls, right? That's that's insane. Then to actually go through with killing a child and then the next day to send it. I mean, that's that's really yeah. insane. It's behavior. beyond the beyonds. Like it is it is kind of bordering on sociopathic really. Um very, very disturbing. So they, they got this letter and the person behind this campaign of harassment earned the nickname the Crow in the media, which was a reference to an old German mo- movie. So the Crow this character, the crow, the right. person who was behind these letters, seemed to know everything about them, which many people did not did not know. So again, it's got to be a family member then. Priest. That's what you're thinking, yeah. isn't it? So a legal procedure commenced, and the person placed in charge of this inquiry was Wayford, a guy called Jean Michel Lambert, okay. uh, who was 33. He was a 33 year old judge, so a really a young 33 year old judge. Is that even possible? That's, uh, that's, I don't know. That's weird. Have you finished secondary school by then? Like, Nepotism. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, he was a really young judge with limited experience who had suddenly been thrust into the, a huge national, international spotlight. Because obviously this attention, it was huge in France, but also garnered a lot of attention abroad as well because the element of like, the campaign of harassment, how a lot, how it was such a small village. I mean, this was a tiny, tiny place. Uh, it just really captivated, I suppose, you know, it captivated people's interest across the globe. So to have such a young judge in charge of a case of such magnitude was obviously problematic from the start. And on the first day, this 33-year-old judge went out and told the media that this was, wait for it, this is the first day. (laughs) He said, this is a simple affair and he expected it to be solved very quickly. Words that would haunt him for the rest of his career. 
No so he doubt. came out the first day and he was like, no, no like, doubt. This, this is echoes of Madeleine McCann, doesn't it? Only with a body. Absolutely. Like, and actually a lot of people would have compared the two like down through the years. And in terms of, again, like, you know, the police mishandling of things and, you know, all of that. Um, and there are other similarities as well, actually, as we go on. But I mean, obviously, ridiculous statement to make the first day. He was like, basically, we'll be done by lunch. Uh, so every day he would hold press conference conferences so this guy loved the media and told the media absolutely everything both he and the police knew which is obviously not the best strategy when trying to solve a murder so literally he kept them abreast of everything, everything. which is what you shouldn't do well i'm not i've, I've never been a policeman but or, or a judge but i would imagine that it's probably ill-advised to give every detail of a case that you're investigating daily well, to the media yeah. You'd have to kind of, you know, you would have to kind of hold something back because then there's always that. Obviously, you want to give a certain level of information in terms of catching the person and hoping that somebody might put two and two together. But to just that missing piece of the puzzle, that one that you need to get a conviction over the edge. Yeah. You have to just keep that to yourself. Well, that would be logical to you and I, Julie. Clearly not logical to the 33-year-old judge was just no he was courting the media attention and of course all of this exposed ultimately how little the police actually did know Um, so by the time the police came to play the taped recordings of the phone conversations in court so they, they had obviously you know they set up this judicial inquiry to find out what happened this judge was in charge of it the police were i mean they had mislabeled everything Jeez. the evidence wasn't stored properly they had taped recordings of these threatening phone conversations but like again they were so badly handled that it was really hard to work out what was being said and then when they were played in court and it, you know obviously they were also accused of not pursuing lines of inquiry and just criticised from all quarters. However, they did soon land, land on a suspect um, by the name of Bernard LaRoche, who was Jean-Marie's cousin, although they weren't really cousins, as Bernard's parents had died when he was young, and so Jean-Marie's parents had raised him, thus making him more like Jean-Marie's brother than a cousin. Okay. So he lived in the next village over with his wife, Marie-Ange, and their son, who was only 10 days younger than Gregory. Um, but their son, who was called Sebastian, was actually sadly quite disabled and needed round-the-clock care. Jeez. So he had he had a lot of needs, even though he was obviously te- he was the same age as Gregory. He would have had a lot more problems than him in the in a medical sense. So they had a very strange re- relationship, Bernard and Jean Marie, which was kind of exemplified just as I suppose an example of this. When Jean-Marie refused to give uh, Bernard a job at the factory where he worked, which was, of course, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it would rub anyone up the wrong way. But I mean, especially when it's somebody's brother, you know, help a guy out here. That's, so odd, everyone, isn't it? that's, that's an alarm bell there that clearly they didn't get on or. Yeah, they didn't get on. Yeah, they, they just they had a really strange relationship. And like when Bernard needed this job and went down the factory and John marie didn't help him out, it didn't sit right with a lot of people. And everyone was convinced, you know, ultimately mm. that the mystery of Gregory, that the answer lay within the family and that a family member had done this. So a lot of people were saying, well, Bernard, you know, clearly didn't get on with Sean marie there might have been an element of envy involved because Gregory was a perfectly healthy child and his own son had an awful lot of problems. But essentially your man had all the life 
accoutrements of a successful life that this guy didn't have. He had all the bad luck, the other guy had all the good luck. Yeah, so you you could see how it could anger him. And people were saying, you know, maybe he is the most likely suspect here because he clearly, you know, had reason to, you know, he had beef with John Marie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of all the family members, he was probably the one who had the most obvious beef with them. So a handwriting, a handwriting expert at the time concluded that there was a strong possibility that Bernard had written these letters. Because a notepad had been used, they could actually make out imprints of other notes and letters. So you know the way you'd be writing yeah. like other notes. So hilariously, like the, obviously he'd used a notepad. So then what they did was they got that old trick. They got charcoal, charcoal yeah. to work out what the imprints <laughs> were. And they revealed on another page that one of the, these other letters that the person had written had been signed and the signature read BL. Okay, well, I mean, this so, was... Yeah. Sounding like a big, a big wagging finger pointing directly at this guy is this? Cheap yeah, like that. so it's 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 not looking good. So another expert also said that there was a high chance Bernard had been the voice on the other end of the phone during these threatening calls. Also, but pinch of salt on that one because the quality was so bad that you know yeah. it, it's not it's not very strong evidence. But the expert did say, yeah, no, it could well have been him. Um, for, now, but one of the things which really did, there were a couple of, I think, much more, uh, I suppose, uh, kind of much more damning uh, pieces of evidence against him. But one of them was his wife, his, his own wife's behaviour was very strange after the disappearance and the subsequent death of, of Gregory. So her behaviour really aroused suspicion. So Marie-Ange had gone into the village after the murder of Gregory and had called the police from a payphone, making an anonymous call, saying it was a random random elderly couple in the village who was behind the killing of Gregory. Ah, stop. Yeah. So this was obviously very strange, given that like this is just your typical old couple who is probably cocooning at present. <laughs> but like just this like random old couple who clearly have nothing to do with the crime. And obviously the police would be like, well, what motivation would Marie-Ange, Bernard's wife, have in implicating them? That's mental, Julie. I mean, why? That's immediately you're thinking she's trying to throw the cops off the scent of what actually happened and it puts it back on her and the husband again. Yeah. And also, which is very, very often the case, I think, isn't it, with these things. She showed a huge interest in the inquiry so much so that the police so much so that the police found it very strange and likened it to like bordering on nosiness that she was nearly too curious about how they were getting on with the case. Then again, if, can you be too curious if your own kid has been killed? I mean, is there such a thing? Well, well, th- now this would have been so Bernard, who was effectively like Jean Marie's adopted brother, this was his his wife. So I suppose she would have been like Gregory's auntie as okay. such. Not like anti by blood, but you know, like technically is anti. Okay, right. And I guess you, I guess you would be interested, but the police just thought she was too interested in it all. Um, and it appeared like it just appeared that she kind of wanted to be at the centre of things. She didn't show up as well, which was another kind of incriminating um, element. She didn't show up for work on the day of Gregory's murder or the day after. Though, to be fair, it was noted that she often took days off work, so this wasn't unusual. So she's kind of like the rest of us, like a day here, a day there. <laughs> a day on, a day off. False worker. A bit a bit of gastroenteritis here and there. Um, but she wasn't in work either those days. And then a really, really interesting development occurred. 
So this was kind of a game changer. So Marie Ange, so just to kind of reiterate, so Marie Ange is Bernard's wife. Okay. Um, Bernard is essentially Jean Marie's brother. brother. So Bernard and Marie Ange are essentially like the uncle and the auntie of the child, the, right. this poor child who has died. So Marie Ange has a much younger sister. She's well, I mean, seven seven years younger. She's fifteen. Her name okay. is Muriel Bowl, and she comes forward as a witness. So. This girl is Bernard's sister-in-law, effectively. Right. And she told the gendarme that the day that the day Gregory had died, Bernard had picked her up from school. They then went and picked Gregory up from his home and drove to the river. She claimed she'd been brought to care for Bernard's son, Sebastian, who was in the car and who needed, of course, like he needed kind of round the clock looking after. Yeah. While Bernard, quote, the phrase she used in her statement was, obviously translated here, got Gregory. That's, is that plausible to you? That doesn't sound plausible to me. Well, it's, it's a strange one, but we'll, we'll come back to it. But she came, so she came, came along, she informed the gendarme on the Friday that this is what happened, that she was picked up, she was present for the child being taken. Uh, but it, there's a couple of interesting kind of twists here. And she maintained that that was what happened. So this would have substantiated Gregory's mother's argument that the person who had taken Gregory would have to have been a family member because Gregory was a very shy little boy and would not have gone off with a stranger. And she hadn't heard any ruckus or, you know, anything of that nature. So she had, it was another reason why she thought it was somebody that the little boy knew. Um, on the back of Muriel's story, Bernard is arrested and Judge Lambert announces that the case is officially solved. So <laughs> literally this, you know, solved for He's Friday like, thank afternoon. Fuck, thank God. Solved. Out the gap. Just in time for lunch. So <laughs> uh, the judge says, yeah, we're done here. But out of the blue, a couple of days later, Muriel goes back on her statement and says that the gendarme forced the story out of her. Now, what? should be noted, yeah, it should be noted that her initial statement, as I said, had been taken on a Friday. And the gendarme were delighted. They were like, this is it. This is what happened. We've got him. So they, now, bearing in mind, they had already, like, you know, Back there was a general suspicion on Bernard anyway, because everyone knew of his relationship with uh, Jean-Marie. It should be noted, though, that, like, obviously this took place on a Friday. So they took the statement from her and then they allowed her home for the weekend, despite the fact that she had just implicated her brother-in-law in a child murder. All of this is all wrong, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it like some locals, like many locals, in fact, suggested that she was went home for the weekend, was beaten and intimidated by her family to change her story. Which explains why on the Monday she then turned up at the police station and recanted her statement. The judge then decided to dismiss her entire statement on the basis of her just being like this attention-seeking teenager was what they said. But nobody took into account like the mitigating factors there that like her going home and actually being yeah. in the company of her sister He's like, why did you tell the police that my husband is a murderer? Her entire family. I mean, it's just, it's not ideal. Where were Gregory's parents at this point? Were they like, were they screaming out, you, you know, you killed our son? 
to Bernard or were they just totally silent on this? Well, well, at, at this stage, they had, you know, appeared in media appearance and stuff, but actually their response to it all, um, there, there's another little cruel twist here now in a minute. There's nothing but, but twists, Julie. There, it's, there's a lot of twists, but they, they wouldn't have, just to say like that, they would not have been close to this side of the family anyway, so they certainly wouldn't have been over in the gaff for the weekend you know like it was not that kind of relationship yeah Yeah, no um but we will get to their response because it's it's kind of an extreme one in a moment but one interesting point to note is that muriel had on the monday so she said look i made it up none of that's true she had said that bernard had not picked her up and that she got on the bus home from school as usual and when asked to describe the bus driver described her usual bus driver he was a bearded man However, on the day of this murder, this driver had been replaced by a new driver who looked strikingly different with glasses and clean shaven. Uh, Muriel didn't notice this and the driver also insisted he was absolutely adamant that she had not been on the bus that day, which would seem to corroborate her initial statement, which was she always got the bus home. On this day, she didn't. She got a lift home with Bernard. See, so yeah, so like everything to the, to what you're saying now points to that she was telling the truth initially. The only doubt I had was like, if you were going to kill somebody, would you pick somebody else up to look after your disabled son in the meantime while you kill another child? Was well, that, there, that sounded mad to me, you know? It 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 does. But I mean, the whole, the whole thing, thing is, is mad. mad. <laughs> like, you know, killing a child is fairly mad. You know, it's just, it's crazy, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the case... logic to it, isn't it? <laughs> No, but I totally get where you're going, that you're like, surely not. Uh, is this a case of world's worst criminals? But I mean, sometimes <laughs> criminals do do these mad things and it makes no sense. Then the case went in a totally different direction. So three sources came forward, three separate people, and said that they had seen Christine, Gregory's mother, drive towards the village and head towards the post office just before 5pm. This was the same post office that the Crow would send letters from. Christine insisted, so three different people said this, and she insisted though, uh, Christine being of course Gregory's mother, that she had been to the post office, but not on that day. However, it was enough to arouse suspicion and she was brought in pregnant into the police station for questioning. So the letters were re-examined and an expert said at the time that there was an 80% chance that she herself had penned the letters from the Crow which obviously turned like the tide of public opinion against her. her. So this expert was like, yeah, I mean, there's a fair chance that she could have written these where herself. Where do you get 80% from? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it could yeah, be 79% and, sure it's you. You know what I mean? It's it's a funny number to come out with, really, uh, because especially because handwriting is so unique and personal. Generally, you would have kind of a better percentage on it than that. But she was heavily questioned and in the midst of questioning, she collapsed, was rushed to hospital where she remained for numerous weeks to follow. So the judge at this time, as well as all of this stuff was going on, decided to release Bernard. So Bernard had still been in prison, even though Muriel had recanted her statement. The media attention on this was huge. And one journalist, and the journalists, by the way, just come across so badly in the story. So they were really, their behavior was appalling. Like they were taking really intrusive photos. Like the funeral turned into this complete 
it was essentially like this total shit show because like the, the journalists themselves were I mean it was terrible they were practically like in on top of the grave like Papa, filming Papa this family breathing, really horrible like paparazzi stuff there was this terrible um, picture which came out of the gendarme retrieving little Gregory's body from the river like oh, I, it was just it was terrible stuff and this was probably the worst of the worst. So the, this journalist managed to get his hands on Muriel's taped confession and actually played this tape. He went to Jean-Marie's house and he was like, no you heard this and played the tape to Jean-Marie. So Jean-Marie is obviously livid. And despite the journalist's advice not to do anything stupid, <laughs> disregards this. So, I mean, nice to say it after you've yeah. played the tape disregards this and shoots Bernard dead in the street. Jesus. So he gets his gun, he finds Bernard, he shoots him in the street and Bernard's last words were apparently, I did not kill your kitty. Oh my God. Who heard the last words? That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, well actually, there were witnesses present because this was just like the middle of the day, the main street in the village. And people were like, he, the, yeah, the last. Ah, this thing is, this is, there's too many twists in this, Julie. I can't really wrap it's my crazy, head around. Isn't it? I'm trying to figure I out can't. who did it. I can't. It's, and then it's, but it is, it's, well, this is your only job here. This is why you're on. You have to solve it. At the end of it, I have to go, well, actually, arrest that man. Very yes. Good. This is, this is what the guest always has to do. So Jean Marie was subsequently arrested and charged with murder. During this time, the police found more evidence that could. Now, could is such could, an important word. Yeah. Could have pointed to Christine. So at this stage, they were panicking because people were kind of like, how can you not find a killer in a village that is absolutely tiny and there's only a certain amount of suspects, like the Crow having the personal information, this was not a random killing. It's somebody close to them. How have you not found out who this a is? A really poor game of Cluedo, isn't it? Yes, and they panicked. So they were like, Bernard is dead. We now have to have a new suspect, basically, was their thinking. So they claimed that tire marks near the river match those on Christine's own car. Now, tire marks that we know, as we know, is they're not the best evidence. No. Um, but Christine, at this point, had actually sold her car three months earlier, making it very difficult for the police to compare the tire prints to the tire prints found at the scene, given that the new owner had done a huge amount of mileage in the interim. So because this was insufficient, they actually searched Christine and Jean-Marie's home. And in the search, they found cord which matched the cord used to tie up Gregory. And when you say matched, it was just the same type of cord or it was? It was it was the same type of cord. Yeah. So now the only thing I'll say is like it's a small village. Probably everyone is buying the same same cord for the same Yeah, but it was it was the exact same cord. So Judge Lambert immediately had Christine arrested and had suggested her motivation had been a fit of madness, despite psychologists dismissing this as not something which was anyway probable. Some people, as I said, suggested that basically, you know, these police just wanted a new suspect after Bernard's death. Uh, the district prosecutor saw her release, even though, and I guess it's a different, you know, justice is it, it's a different justice system and jurisdiction. So I wouldn't be totally okay with this. But essentially, the district prosecutor saw her release, even though the charge of murder still stood against her. Right. And a few years later, she would be awarded a very big compensation claim for unlawful arrest. So Jesus. a year. 
I mean, I don't, I personally, I don't think anything's too incriminating there. Like probably no, the worst thing is, is that would be the three different people who said, oh, I saw her on her way to the post yeah, office. And, and as you've described it to me, it sounds awfully like the police decided they needed to find the new suspect. And in society in general, we always tend to think of the mother uh, in, in, for some reason to do with kids, people always think of the mother straight away. So you're yeah, predisposed yeah. So, to want it to be the mother really, aren't you? In a weird way. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think, I guess, I guess as well, the judge, this thing of, oh, it was a fish of madness. It kind of, again, feeds into this. Oh, sure. was probably a bit of hysteria yeah, on her yeah. part. Her womb no. was acting up. Exactly. It just, no, none of it makes sense. So a year after Gregory's death, she gave birth to her second son, Julian. In December 1986, she appeared, which is two years after Gregory's death, yeah. appeared in court, charged with murder. The case is sent straight away to the appeals court. And the appeals court recognised basically that everything has been mishandled from the start and they removed Judge Lambert from the case with immediate effect. Good. The new judge, who's Judge Maurice Simon, goes back and has a look at the case and basically does everything that should have been done from the start. He stops press interviews, uh, completely allows immediate attention to die out and basically to give the police kind of a chance to maybe try to come up with some kind of case without the media glare. And yeah. in 1988, the judge released the uh, released uh, John Marie pending trial. So at this stage, which would have been obviously a few years after the fact, John Marie had still been in prison, even shooting. though he hadn't been tried for murder yet. So his trial didn't take place, which I just think is unbelievable. Jean Marie's murder trial for killing Bernard didn't take place until 1993. How many years was he in jail then? So he would have been released. He was released in 1988. So okay. at that stage, he would have spent four years in prison, four say. Years. Well, probably three yeah, years yeah, and a bit, years, not okay. quite four. So then five years later, the trial finally happens, which just seems insane. That's insane. And he was found guilty, sentenced to five years, which basically, like he'd already he'd served already that. Served so it. he only ended up sending, spending another couple of weeks in prison. That's very short for a straight up, I shot somebody, isn't it? But I think it was just because so many people were like, yeah, I mean, you know, if you thought he killed your kid, you'd probably do the same. Okay. And because even though he was dead, Bernard still had this cloud of suspicion hanging over him. I just think people were very sympathetic to the Villemens and probably why he got such a short sentence. So years later in 2003, Christine was officially cleared of all charges. But I mean, it took like 30 years to get there. Um, well, I mean, doing the maths on it, would we say 20 years to get there? So she there. had that hanging over her for all that time? Yeah. So in 2003, new DNA technology tested the DNA on the stamps. Okay, I was going but to say, was there any DNA involved? Yeah. Unfortunately, due to inadequate storage, this was impossible. So they hadn't stored the letters correctly. Another, another mess up by the police then. Yeah, yeah, wow. really bad. And in 2008, again, the Villemens convinced authorities to take a fresh look at the case. So 25 years later... The authorities did that test of the cord and the rope from the murder. But again, this all came back inconclusive for DNA. Uh, so in 2017, there was a huge break in the case. So they identified, so these new experts looked at the letters and they identified the writer of the Crow letters as Jacqueline Jacob, who would have been Jean-Marie's auntie. So in other words, little Gregory's grand-aunt. Both okay. Jacqueline and her husband, Marcel, were arrested, along with Sean Marie's half-sister, who was quickly released. So essentially, his auntie and uncle were arrested. 
Linguistic analysis of the calls also suggested that both a male and female have participated in the phone calls. They took more than 100 different witness statements. Um, they analysed them all, as well as 12,000 pieces of evidence, placed all of these in the database to basically examine and find, to examine them and find inconsistencies in witness statements. And apparently all of the evidence based on this process, which they did 25 years after the fact, all of the evidence here pointed to Jacqueline and Marcel. That's mental, considering they were never anywhere mentioned at all. They were never, yeah, they were never anywhere mentioned. So they, the strange thing is, so basically they're still viewed as suspects, but no arrests have such as such have been made. So they came out and said, look, you know, there's this new piece of evidence, but, you know, everything points to these two people. But they haven't been charged with anything. So is it is it essentially like we've sat down, we've gone back over everything, and it is our best guess it's these guys, but we can't prove it. Basically, and what what a lot of people now, like police now, would say, and it's something that the locals would have said for a long, long time, that they believe um, that uh, essentially that they believe that Bernard was probably guilty but they're fairly sure that he was not the only one, that this was a family crime. But why, Julie? Well, I mean, it's, it's the only thing that people can... I mean, the only thing uh, the only thing that people really can point to is just that he, Jean-Marie rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. He had but a lot Jesus of enemies. Right. There was a lot of dislike for him in the family. None of this justifies what the family did. God, I mean, I, I don't like a lot of people. <laughs> I'm not going to kill their kid. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, that's, it's, it, is it just, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but do you feel the same way? Is it like, do you think maybe there's something darker there somewhere? There's some other bigger secret within the family that nobody's talking about? Well, it's, it's, it's all very dark and sinister. Like certainly Jean-Marie and Christine, like they obviously moved away from the community and had like nothing, you know, they excommunicated themselves from the family. But the, both the police and the local local community always maintained that it was Bernard, but it wasn't just Bernard. So I guess a lot of people in the local community were not surprised when this auntie and uncle were arrested because they kind of felt that there were a few of them involved in this campaign of harassment. And ultimately, that there was more than one involved in the death of the child as well. I mean, it's a completely fucked up situation. Like, it, absolutely. It, it's mental. And sorry, I know, just to backtrack slightly on it, but initially, the very first letters and phone calls, did they explicitly mention killing the child? Or were they just no, randomly? No, they, they, they didn't actually threaten the child specifically. Okay. So the, the first mention of... Um, the first mention of... Uh, uh, killing the child would have been the letter that they received okay. the day after day the child's after. body was found. But in, I should say as well, in 2017, this auntie and uncle were, uh, they were arrested, but then they were released because obviously they just felt at that stage, maybe there wasn't enough evidence to kind of pursue like a criminal trial against yeah. them. But in maybe the fight, well, the second last bizarre, bizarre uh, aspect to this case. So, 2017 these the this couple this elderly couple are arrested they're released they're 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 subsequently released but also that year the first judge judge lambert actually went on to commit suicide and stated that his mishandling of the case was one of the reasons he one of his reasons in doing so that's mad 
Yes. So in June, this elderly couple were arrested, the auntie and uncle, and the experts were like, yeah, no, fairly certain Jacqueline wrote the letters and fairly certain that they were behind the cause. And then a month later, this this judge sadly killed himself. That is, uh, that's suspicious, isn't it? Well, it's funny. He wrote a farewell, it's, it's strange. He wrote a farewell letter to local newspaper and he cited that the increasing pressure he felt as a result of the case being re- reopened was a reason for ending his life. That's, wow. I suppose that's just another, another stone and layer of mystery to put on top of this whole thing. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's it's strange. And then, I mean, another aspect, another strange aspect in as well. The second judge, Marie Simon, had been tricked. He was tricked into a conversation with a friend, uh, which was then published in a magazine as an interview. And he was so upset by this, he actually ended up getting a heart attack, and then got amnesia after the fact. So his memory was. Uh, uh, irrevocably affected after this heart attack and he died three years later so that would have been a few that was now that was a few years previous quite a few years previous but again just very strange that both the judges involved the whole thing sounds like one big massive conspiracy here you know conspiracy theorists that have a field there with this case now muriel muriel bowl she of course was you know, the, the the little sister, yeah. the sister, Bernard's sister-in-law, who had said, oh, yeah, like, I was with him in the child. 2018, she released a book, Breaking the Silence. I have to confess, I haven't read it, but apparently in that book, she said she had been innocent, Bernard had been innocent, and blamed police for coercing her into implicating him. Uh, however, the year previous, a, a cousin of hers called Patrick um, Five told police that both, that Muriel's family had physically abused her in 1984 in order to make her recant her initial testimony. And again, in her book, she came back to that and she said, basically, my cousin's a liar. That was never the case. And uh, so that would have, you know, she came out, she wrote this book. She said, look, I was pressurized by the police. None of it was true. However, an important piece of evidence to note, Muriel's mother was diabetic. Okay, the insulin. So... She that is why, yeah. We know now, and it was verified by um, a nurse actually taped a conversation with her where she did admit she claimed that she didn't learn how to apply the insulin until after Gregory's death. But the nurse had this conversation with her where she did admit that she had why was the why was the nurse taping her? Well, I guess it just it was a story, I mean, probably actually, probably would have been something like that. But she had admitted that, like, she would have prepared the incident for her mother. So it was well, but it was well known in the village that Muriel would have done this so that the, the mother was diabetic. So the incident then near the river would point to the veracity of her initial statement to police that she had indeed been picked up by Bernard and that she had been present at little Gregory's murder. That's mad. But again, again, why release a book all those years later if you're lying? You know, why would you dredge it all up again? It's yeah, it's 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 a really strange one. Um, but I mean, it continues. The more you read up on it, the more bizarre the whole case. It just sounds insane. It sounds. I mean, again, this is my first time hearing ninety nine percent of what you're telling me about this case. But I mean, it sounds like the plot of a movie where 
they're intimidating one family member and they're jealous of his money and they do a fake kidnapping and it goes wrong and the child dies and that, that's where well, everything goes. Yes, you you wonder maybe that did it just... Go wrong. I mean, I, I, yeah, that you can kind of see and unfortunately there is that kind of gang mentality you do see it even like in you know abusive family dynamics as well that like everyone can kind of get on board with something and it just it goes too far so could it be the case that that's what happened here who knows but somebody messed up and then there was a cover-up and then here we are it's 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 just it's it's such a bizarre it's such a bizarre case and that is the story of gregory villemen little gregory that's fascinating stuff julie it's it's fairly mad, isn't it? Isn't it, Brian? To be honest, what? I was going to call you Bernard there. Oh, it wasn't me. Um, it's no, it's it is. It's but it's so complicated and so complex. When you hear all the stuff laid out there in the timeline, you've laid it out. I mean, how how is anybody supposed to uh, come to a conclusion without hard evidence on a case like that? And it's well, you see, so much of it unfortunately is circumstantial as well that you can see why it wasn't enough necessary to bring a prosecution. But and I mean, in terms of the village, the Villemens obviously are long gone, Jean Marie and Christine. But I mean, it's the first thing that people think of when they hear the name of this village, and even it's the first on on its Wikipedia entry. I think it's the first line it, they reference the death of of Gregory. So. It's just, I mean, it's sad for the community as well. Bad for tourism, that's for sure. continues to haunt them. Yeah, so it's just very sad all around. And I mean, hopefully the family will find justice at some stage. But I mean, I guess the longer it goes on, the less likely, you yeah, know, that, unfortunately, that, that would appear to be. But, but I mean, look, maybe at the same time, it's never too late for somebody to turn around and say, look, this is actually what happened. So hopefully they do gain closure at some stage. Fingers crossed. That's certainly a fascinating tale, Julie. Brian, you have a podcast coming out. Do you want to just tell us about the podcast? I the do. Podcast it's, well, I've, I've, I've done what a lot of comedians have done in these in these barren times, Julie, is I've invented a vehicle uh, to use to launch my voice onto the internet so that you can all hear me talking crap there instead of on a stage. Uh, it's called The Brian Gallagher Show, and it should be launching this weekend on all the places you listen to podcasts. So we'll definitely check them out, the Brian Gallagher Show. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Julie. Bye-bye. You are the best. You were brilliant. Thank you so much. Take <laughs> care. Stay safe out there. <laughs> Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.